0: Okay, y'all, are you ready? I'm ready. Mark 5. I mean, you had a big game last night. You guys should be pumped, ready to go, I mean, right? Come on, let's go. Turn to Mark 5, chapter 5. That's what Mark 5 is. And look at verses 21 through 43. That's where we're going to go. All right. It is widely considered one of the greatest rock songs ever written, ever recorded, and ever sung. You know what it is? Uh, personally, it's also on my top favorite list. Um, it's been described as, quote, the perfect rock song. Uh, also, that features, quote, one of the best opening keyboard riffs in rock. As of November 2011, uh, it is the top-selling iTunes downloaded song in all of history. Over 5 million digital copies of this one song have been downloaded Up to a year ago, so we have an extra year to figure out even how much greater uh, its uh, downloads have happened. So what is this rock classic? Do you know what this rock classic is? Don't Stop Believing by Journey. Yeah. I see you in a smoke. You got it, right? All right. Now, Don't Stop Believing is not only the most popular downloaded song in history, it's the hardest thing to do. The hardest thing to do is to not stop believing. Or to put it this way, the easiest thing to do is to stop believing. The easiest thing to do is to stop persevering or enduring in faith. To give in to fear. The easiest thing to do is to stop being loyal. uh, To stop loving uh, to the bitter end. It's easier to lash out the easiest thing to do is to not keep holding on not keep trusting uh, to actually give in to bitterness and give up it's the easiest thing to do now in today's passage jesus looks desperate and despairing people in the eye and he says do not fear only keep on trusting me So how's that going uh, for you this morning? I mean, how are you doing with don't stop believing in the middle of your personal crisis? uh, In your relationship trouble? Um, With your crushed dreams? With your uncertain future? Uh, Or how about... Uh, when experiencing overwhelming, uncontrollable emotions like anger and fear and anxiety uh, and the one that's a little less detected, drivenness, um, control. How are you doing? Today Jesus looks all of us in the eye and he's going to ask you and he's going to ask me but he's going to do so through some through an incredible group of characters. He's going to say, do not fear. Only keep on believing. He's going to ask you to do the hardest thing to do. Please stand for the hearing of God's word. I have multi-use glasses.
1: (laughs) If I begin exegeting or asking Ty to listen to mommy and daddy. It's the powers in the glasses. (laughs) Mark 5, 21 through 43. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be w- made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him, and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had, a, had had a discharge of blood for twelve years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus, and came up behind him in the crowd, and touched his garment. And told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks. brother. Y'all, take your seats.
0: Okay, let's pray. Oh, God, we thank you for this great day. We thank you that your mercies are new every morning, and we thank you that you um, ride on the wind of your word. And we ask that uh, you would um, unleash heaven on us even now. We ask that you would do uh, what you only can do, which is put us back together, uh, speak words uh, of blessing and power deep into our soul, uh, literally raise us up, Um, turn us and transform us, Lord, into those that worship you, in deeper and bigger and brighter ways, uh, those that then are uh, empowered to love and serve others in ways that uh, actually would shock those we love and serve and shock ourselves that we're actually doing it. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, how do we keep on trusting Jesus? How do you live out what Jesus is saying here in this passage to Jairus, which is, do not fear, only keep on Uh, It's in present tense. Believing. Uh, This is the first time in Mark that a religious leader gets Jesus. This is a momentous moment. This is the first religious leader that gets Jesus. If Mark was a movie, it would go into slow-mo right now. Uh, this This for Mark is a model moment for all religious people. How does a religious person get Jesus? Because we know that as we've seen religious people throughout Mark, uh, Bible-believing people, good people, they're the ones that are most opposed to Jesus. They're the ones that most avoid Jesus. The ones that actually are concerned about God and are concerned about following him are the ones that are the furthest from him, according to Mark. So here is a paradigmatic model for how a religious person gets Jesus. So we are in slow-mo when we get to Jairus. Uh, Why does Jairus, though, seek out Jesus? And why does he do so, so humbly? Do you see verse 22, seeing him, Jesus, he fell at his feet. What makes Jairus so different from all the other religious people and religious leaders? We've come in contact with in mark. We've come in contact with a lot of folks that are very, very uh, competent spiritually, that are very, very put together spiritually, very uh, superior uh, and secure spiritually. Uh, but what makes Jairus different? Steve Brown, he's a former active PCA pastor. He's still a pastor, but he's not active. Uh, He's now a popular author and speaker, and he's a professor of homiletics, which is preaching at a seminary in Florida. Uh, He's also a uh, famous, in that area, radio personality. Well, he received a call from someone on his radio program and had to go through two staffers to get to him. And when it got to him, the caller was upset. Uh, It was an upset caller. And here's why the caller was upset Uh, He heard Steve broadcast uh, a program earlier where he had two guests on his program, two women uh, that had same sex desires. And they were on his radio program. And this caller was, he was ripped and he was angry. And he said um, angrily, Would you allow those lesbians in your church? And Steve replied, Well, I think the church is a good place for sinners. It took me in. Uh, The man responded, don't you care about the purity of the church? And Steve said, of course I do. I just haven't found one yet. "Ah, Mine is, the man retorted. Great, Steve said. And then he went on to say, I assume then that you've kicked out all the fat people the greedy people, the lusting men, and those cantankerous folks, and you're the only one left. And there was this loud slamming noise, and then the line went dead, right? The collar, what was wrong with the collar? He was untouched by desperation. Desperation has not left its fingerprint on him yet. He is disconnected from his personal need. Personal need is missing in his life. Desperate people, needy people are driven to Jesus. How do we keep on trusting Jesus? How do we live out do not fear, only keep believing? Here's the answer. Face our desperation. Face our neediness. That's how. In Tripp's book, Dangerous Calling, he says his research, remember he's researching, uh, he's looking at pastors and he's looking at churches and he's saying what causes pastors to implode, what causes churches to implode. And of all the churches and all the pastors that he's interviewed and all the years of doing ministry in these circles, uh, he says that there is one major contributing factor Know what it is? He says, the moment that a pastor, the moment that church leadership, the moment that a church um, does not deeply believe in its bones, the moment that a pastor, a church, a church leadership does not deeply believe in its bones, that they are just as needy, just as messed up, just as desperate as the people they are ministering to, danger's coming dangers on its way the way to begin to trust jesus the way to begin to keep on believing is to face your desperation it's to face your neediness some of us have this crucial part down already you you are desperate you're desperate this morning Go to Jesus. You've got the most crucial part down already. You already have the fingerprint of desperation on your soul. You already are deeply aware that you're needy. Go to Jesus. Just like Jairus, go to him. Fall on your knees. Simply and humbly say, oh, God, help me. simply and humbly say have mercy on me go to him in your desperation let your need drive you to jesus okay but others of us need help to get there we're more like the caller um, we see the flaws and we see the faults in others like high def tv It's in color for us. We see it. And it's as effortlessly as opening our eyes. It's as effortlessly as breathing. We see in high definition the very detours and the contours and the colors of people's faults and flaws. And then the the troubling part is we seem to not be able to see the faults and flaws in ourselves. We seem not to be able to see that, you know what, people have to put up with my faults and flaws just as much as I have to put up with theirs. And if our faults and our flaws are pointed out, our inner um, our inner attorney gets to work. And our inner attorney starts immediately preparing his legal or her legal brief and starts proclaiming our innocence and proclaiming our righteousness and protecting it. And then if and when we actually are made to face a flaw or a fault, it is an absolutely traumatic experience. I mean, it feels like an emotional death, like you literally, and I'm literally, we're literally dying. It's so hard. If this is you, start with your blindness humbly go to Jesus and say something like, Lord, I'm desperately blind to my faults and my flaws. Help me. Jesus, my need is so great that I don't even see my need. I see everybody else's, but I don't see mine. How do you keep on trusting Jesus? Answer, face your desperation. Face your neediest. Face it. Because only desperate people are driven to Jesus. All right. Well, what about, what about the person that doesn't believe in Jesus? What if you're not a Christian? What does this passage have to say to you? Uh, I mean, why, why believe in Jesus at all? I want you to look at verse 24. Look at verse 24. It says, And he, Jesus, went to him. All right, J- Jairus was desperate. Jairus is driven to Jesus and now Jesus enters into Jairus's desperation with him. Uh, everything changed at that moment. This is a game changer. This is what this is like what happened in the second half on Friday night in the Lorena first round playoff game. It was a complete game changer. Uh everything changes right here the moment jesus went with him it all changed And the moment he went with him something radically cosmically shifted even though it's just such a simple phrase and even though we read it and pass over it, we need to know if you pull the curtain back into the cosmos and you pull the curtain back into the deeper places of reality everything changed but we also need to hold on don't we Because the map to Jairus' home hardly ever goes in a straight line. The map to divine resolutions and the map to rescues in our life hardly ever have a straight line, don't they? So we have this moment where Jesus went with him, and it's a game changer. Everything's changed, and everything has just shifted. Hope has just come in. The light has just shined. And then all of a sudden, there's detours. All of a sudden, there's... There's turns in the road. All of a sudden, there's these divine delays. So while everyone's speedwalking to Jairus' home, we meet someone else in the text. We have a bleeding woman. So we have this literary um, phenomenon, which is called the sandwich principle. Isn't that a neat little... Yeah, these sophisticated ways of describing genre. But you have a story sandwiched within a story, and then you return to the story, and it's a literary device of a historical reality, but the, the sandwiched story is the point. The sandwiched story interprets the other story. So we have everyone marching, speedwalking, to get to Jairus' home. And, uh, and we meet another woman. Now I want you to notice how Jairus is introduced. We know his name. He has the dignity of a name. <laughs> we know that he's a, a ruler of the synagogue. I mean, he's one of the leading guys in the community. He's a spiritual leader. He's a community leader. He has, he's successful. He has a tremendous reputation. This is a good guy. This is a guy that when, when his daughter is dying, uh, everyone's rallying around him. Uh, And then, though, we meet this other person. We meet this woman, and her identity is found in verse 25. And notice what it says. She had a discharge of blood for 12 years. Her identity is bleeding. Her identity is she's a hemorrhaging person. I want you to look at verse 29 and look at 34. If you have the ESV or in your notes, it's translated disease. Um, I want you to hear the word in the original language, mastiques. She has a mastiques. She was healed of her mastiques. She was delivered of her mastiques. You know what mastiques means? It's one of these cool words that you get two meanings for one, that you blend one reality and another reality into one word. It literally means uh, whip, lash, torment, curse. It means physical suffering and shame. It means uh, a body hemorrhaging and a heart hemorrhaging. At the same time, she has a mystique. Her identity is mystique. So um, she's not only physically suffering, she is suffering. She's just not experiencing shame. She is shame. Many of you in this room know her world you know her world, and you could draw a map in it. You know what that world's like. You know lo- location A. Look at verse 26. Here's location A. You could draw this on your map. You've tried everything. Verse 26, who had suffered much under many physicians. You've tried everything. Uh, you've gone to all the experts for your mastiques, physical, physical, um, psychological you, you've gone to all the experts. Uh, there is a humorous note, and I because we're kind of serious here, but I just think it's really, really interesting. Um, you know, Luke is a physician, right He's one of the gospel writers. He wrote Luke well in his account of this, he fails to mention the physicians. Just interesting. you know, so even gospel writers have identity issues, right. He couldn't bring himself to say physicians <laughs> he probably wanted to say lawyers or he probably wanted to say plumbers or professors but he couldn't all right so you've tried everything location a is you've tried everything um anything something to help you right you've tried it well now it takes you to location b you spend lots of money Verse 26, and he had spent all that she had. So you've tried everything for a cure. You spent lots of money on it. This takes you to location C, which is verse 26, and was no better, but rather grew worse. So the cures or the answers or the solutions to your mystiques only made it worse, only brought more hemorrhaging, only brought more shame and suffering. That's the map, and you know how to draw it now i want you to watch this now remember where we are we're trying to figure out how to keep on following jesus or believing jesus specifically why would anyone if they're not a christian want to begin to watch this verse 27 she's not a christian she's uninitiated she doesn't go to church But she heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments I will be made well. Here's the answer. What's the answer? The answer is desperate people, needy people are not only driven to Jesus but they're attracted to him. She heard a a lot of good stuff about him. Good reports. Good news. Almost like too good to be true stuff. And she liked it. She was attracted to the report she heard. And they she was attractive enough to actually risk more public shame and more public failure and more public rejection. Look at verses 32 through 33 she's afraid she's fearful she's trembling because jesus is trying to find out who touched him and she knows that she's unclean i mean she's not supposed to be but she's not allowed in the temple she's not all around other people she if you have when women have their cycle their monthly cycle they are impure unclean for 7 days of the year or 7 days after that happens of the month totally isolated Well, this is 12 years she's had gynecological problems. 12 years. So she's perpetually unclean. She knows what she's doing. For her to come into this great crowd, she just made everyone in the crowd ceremonially unclean. And then she just laid hold of Jesus and touched him. She made this great teacher unclean. So for her to now be found out is her greatest, worst nightmare. So she's shaking. She's fearful. But Jesus was so attractive, it was worth the risk. The human heart is loaded with fears. I don't need to tell you that. And much of our lives are spent trying to cover them, cope with them, live with them, have a truce with them. Uh, This woman who wasn't a Christian found Jesus more attractive than her fears. That's amazing. Um, How do you keep on believing Jesus? You have to face your desperation. You have to face your neediness. That's the only way you're going to begin to, and it's the only way you're going to continue to because only desperate people are driven to Jesus, but not only driven to him, only desperate people are attracted to him. This is the model, the paradigmatic model of how religious people get Jesus. There's no other way. All right. It's not too hard to put yourself in Jairus' shoes, is it? I mean, this is easy. See, as I'm reading this, I'm like, oh, man. I mean... What you should do, what I want all of us to do as a congregation more and more in this church, what I want us to do is to not just read and exegete and syntax and literary study. I don't want us to keep approaching the text like a document to be disentangled and dissected. I want us to approach, I want us to approach the Bible to read it in search of God. I want us to approach it with joy, enjoyment. I want us to approach it like sit and listen and watch. Put yourself in the shoes because the people, the characters, everything in the text is here for you to find you and then find someone else. So if you read it as you're disengaged from it, as if these people are someone other than you, You're reading it like a religious person. And you're disconnected. You might know the grammar. You might know biblical knowledge. You might get the theological packedness of it. But you won't enjoy it. You won't hear the music. You won't see the beauty. So it's easy when you start listening and put yourself in this position. It's easy for anyone to identify with Jairus. I mean, your daughter, your little girl is dying. The text literally says, death is at her door. So we're talking minutes. So you go hunting for this miracle worker and you found him. And yet, You fall in your desperation and you ask him for help. And he says, yeah, you bet. And hope for the first time just floods your heart. And now everyone's racing back to your home, which probably is not but a couple of minutes away. So everyone's speed walking back to the home and then all of a sudden Jesus stops the walk and he starts looking around and he starts saying, Who touched me? I mean, even the disciples, did you see what the disciples say? They really say, they said, Really? (laughs) I mean, amidst this mass of people that are pushing and thronging, they're pulling on you, everyone's touching you, Jesus. Everyone is and you're asking, Really? Who touched me, Jesus? Jesus. And then when you find the little touching trespasser and she's right there, the text, look what it says in verse 33. She tells her whole life story. The whole truth literally means her whole life story. So now Jesus takes the time and he wants to find the connect with this person. He just doesn't want this person, whoever it was to get this healing. He's more concerned about her ultimate healing, connecting with him. So she's, he's, He's calling her out. And then when he does, he wants to hear her whole story. That's how Mark got all the details about 12 years of this mess, about how she went to physician after physician. Where did this information come from? Because she's telling her whole story. How long did this take? Remember, you're Jairus. Your daughter's dying. And then it doesn't take much of an imagination to feel the overwhelming desperation at this point, does it? And then it happens, and of course it happens. You knew it was going to happen. I knew it was going to happen. Everyone knew it was going to happen. Verse 35, while Jesus was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter's dead. You don't need to trouble the teacher anymore. And I bet if we took a poll of every father who has a daughter here, we'd all be in agreement no we need to trouble the teacher some more then the text literally says jesus ignored the tragic news can you believe that Uh, in your text it's overhearing in verse 36 but you should have a footnote if you follow the footnote you'll see that the word probably some manuscripts have ignoring and i think that's the better translation so the sky is falling in jairus's world he just gets the most tragic devastating news you can get and jesus ignores it (laughs) i mean this is beyond cold if we're honest this is what we expected we expected this you know first you get a little hope You know, you get a little hope in your life. You get a little hope in your trials. You get a little hope in your desperation. You get a little hope like we say things to ourselves, like, Jesus loves me. He's with me. He's going to take care of me. We get that. You get that. And you have that. And you get a little hope. But then we get the divine delay. And of course that's going to happen. You get the divine delay and the road takes a turn. And it didn't go the way you wanted it to go. And now you're in a valley of deep darkness. Of course I'm in the valley of deep darkness. Of course this would happen. A divine delay right it's happened and now we've come to the heart of the whole passage here it is trusting Jesus when he delays is the hardest thing to do when Jesus delays it's the hardest thing to do right so when Jesus says to Jairus and to everyone desperate do not fear only keep believing now now we feel the tension in this text. Here's the key. The key is what to believe. That's the key. So when Jesus says, do not fear, only keep believing, he's calling you to the what. He's call, here's here's the what, what to believe. Now remember the interpretive key was where? With the woman. The answer to that is in the woman interchange. So Jesus walks into Jairus' home when he sees the wailing, he sees the weeping, and the text says it was loud. Um, And then he says, basically, why all the commotion? But basically he's saying, why all the emotional turmoil? Why all the emotional chaos here? What's going on? She's not dead. She's asleep. And there we have the first clue to what to believe. Because for Jesus, death, our worst nightmare, death, the ultimate enemy, the symbol, the emblem of the Paradigmatic mastiques, physical suffering, body bleeding, hemorrhaging, and heart hemorrhaging, suffering and shame in one reality, the ultimate death. For Jesus, death is like sleep. For Jesus, death is controlled. It's calmed. It's like the storm on the sea, and he says, "Be still." It's like the spiritual storm in a demon man in the soul of the human being and the human condition. Come out, be still. It's controlled, it's calm, it's like sleep. How do we know this? How can we count on this? The answer lies in the bleeding woman. When the bleeding woman is healed, look what happens to Jesus, verse 30. And Jesus perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him. There it is. There's the answer. Jesus was diminished. Jesus was uh, weakened. Jesus was reduced. The power went out from him so the woman could be healed. The woman got power enough to heal because Jesus got weakened. It went out from him. So how much power does a Christian have? All of it. How much power do you have, Christian? Every last drop of it. How do you know? Because he was completely diminished. Completely, utterly reduced. Weakened devastated his light went out so your light can turn on this is why jesus takes a little girl's hand and he just says he says it in aramaic and the reason why it's translated is because remember these are gentile um unreligious irreligious people in rome so they don't understand Hebrew, they don't understand Aramaic, they only get Greek. Talitha kumi, that's what Jesus says. Um, it's an endearing term. It's like, it's like a parent uh, coming to their deeply loved child in the morning and saying, Honey, it's time to get up. Here's how you keep on believing, even amidst divine delays. Jesus completely reduced himself to raise you effortlessly, powerlessly, from your mastiques, from your body hemorrhaging ultimately, and certainly from your heart hemorrhaging, in real time and in an ultimate cosmic way. Because this is written in real time. This is a a desperation in real time. And so Jesus was reduced to raise you. So he will say to you when the time is right. And that's the key to this whole thing. I mean, if you start putting God on your time schedule, you're going to be convinced he doesn't love you. But if we're able to sit and rest on the fact that he was reduced to raise us, We know it's coming. We know that one day, at his timing, one day, maybe it's today, maybe it's tomorrow, he's still got things he needs to do. There's a divine delay for a reason. At one time, he's going to come up to you, easily say to you, Honey, it's time to get up. Tiger, it's time to get up.